Good evening, all. Welcome back to another episode of Hans's Weekly Builders Podcast, uh, where we interview uh, some of the leading founders in the Web3 space and talk about how they built, grow, and manage their protocols. Uh, today, I'm lucky enough to have uh, a friend from a recent trip to Lisbon, Lucas Venegar, on the podcast, uh, the founder of Uber.io. How are you going this evening, Lucas? Hey, Archie. Um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. Actually, here in Lisbon, it is morning, eight o'clock, but I'm doing very well. What about you? Oh, I'm, I'm going quite well. Uh, a bit later in the evening, I think it's about uh, 7 p.m., but equally bright outside. Um, such are the joys of living on the other side of the world. Um, now, for the uninitiated, Lucas, would you be able to just give us a, a, a quick sort of explain like I'm five uh, rundown of what it is that you're doing at Uber? Um, yeah, of course. So... I would say um, the the gist of what we do is our cold wallet. Um, we build the cold wallet with the easiest customer journey on the market. It is actually a physical card um, which with a microchip and then an NFC antenna. And um, the customer journey of that cold wallet is so easy that we can actually sell it in supermarkets. So basically that means that um, people will be able to buy our cold wallet in major retail stores and um, they, purchases, they purchase it with a starting balance. That means um, that they can actually in, um, buy Bitcoin directly at their local grocery store. Yeah, nice. It makes it a big first for me as well on this week's podcast. I think you're the first and I, I assume for probably quite a while from here, uh, the only hardware-focused founder, I guess, uh, selling a physical product. What sort of drew you down down that path uh, rather than developing a protocol? What sort of sparked that interest in developing uh, physical products for retail? That was actually related to the customer journey. So, um, or maybe, no, maybe not only that. I mean, then on the other hand, when you custody crypto assets, um, it's or in general, the custody of a crypto asset is different to the custody of any other digital information. So as you probably know, um, the, the, the most secure way is cold storage. And cold storage is in some way always related to, to this physical component because you obviously you need to extract this, um, this, this valuable piece of information out of your smartphone and out of your computer into a device which is disconnected from the internet. So that's the one point. And then on the other side, um, we also saw, so for example, if you want to give your grandpa a, a way to store Bitcoin, um, it is way more easy to give him an actual physical device. For example, like a ledger stick. This is what I did with my grandpa. I gave him this physical device and explained to him, this is what you have to take care of. Just don't lose this stick here and then you're good. Um, and this was like he immediately understood it. He was like, okay, yeah, sure, I can take care of that. But if I would have tried to explain him how to store, um, how to store it on, on his computer, maybe using an Electrum wallet or, or a MetaMask, there's no way that, that he would be able to understand that. So what I'm saying is that the physical component actually makes it more tangible and more um, like more easy to understand for, for first-time users. And then on the other hand, it is actually the most um, superior way to store a cryptocurrency. Yeah, and and going going back to I guess your your seminal user journey. What what was it that brought you into the space in in the first place? So I I personally have been in the crypto space for quite some time now. I think um, I started doing my first very small transactions um, 
on the Bitcoin blockchain in 2015. And yeah, I mean, back then, I, I think, uh, <laughs> so the first thing to be very honest, which, which, draw, uh, which uh, brought me in was then the, the insane value appreciation of Bitcoin. And this captured my attention and I was like, okay, what, what exactly is this? I need to, I want to understand more of it. And then once you start to look into the tech and also a bit into the, into the community, um, you, you start to realize more and more the potential of the technology. And then obviously, um, as a young person, I think it makes, makes a lot of sense to work in an environment where there's uh, room for growth and innovation. And uh, yeah, I mean, I found all that in, in the blockchain ecosystem. Um, yeah, and for that reason, I started to, to dive deeper into, into it. Yeah, and I, I think from from what I remember about talking to you, you must have also been one of the first, maybe one of the first professionals in Germany to work at a major institution in a blockchain related role. Uh, could you delve a bit more into into what that, what that was like, what the actual role entailed? Yeah, of course. Um, so I I studied um, in in Munich, and when I was like that, that was parallel to uh, to my own first experience with blockchain. But then when I started to work, um, I started to work for this private bank also in Munich. And um, the interesting part about that bank is that it, on the one hand, it's actually one of the oldest banks in Europe. But then on the other hand, they were among the first to implement a blockchain strategy that was in the year 2019. And back then, Germany was handing out the first um, preliminary crypto custody licenses. So that was more or less the first time um, I would say even in Europe that there was an actual regulatory framework um, about the, the management and the custody of crypto assets for, for third parties and retail customers. Um, and then obviously, I mean, being in a fully licensed bank, um, yeah, yeah, that was quite interesting um, because obviously like, the bank was, is always like, the regulatory counterpart um, for all different types of businesses. And um, yeah, so this mixture of, um, of regulation, old, more or less a little bit like the old economy, and then uh, blockchain technology was very interesting. Um, and yeah, I think yeah, my, my own role was in business development, more or less. And I was working there based on my understanding of blockchain technology. That means that um, yeah, I mean, we, we as a bank, as I've already said, we were always the counterpart, the regulatory counterpart for different blockchain fintechs in Germany. And um, yeah, it was good for them just to like to also have an understanding of how the technology actually works. Um, yeah. And then at, at some point during your journey there, you've decided I want to go out my own and, and build my own sort of project. Uh, what, what was it that triggered you to take that leap? Uh, uh, actually, my co-founder, uh, Vincent, was also working for the bank for some time, um, but he was working there more as a, as a freelancer just for a few months. And that was, we, we, we knew each other already for quite some years, but that was the first time that we were actually working together. And um, we together had the idea for, for Yuba. And to be honest, it was based on a gift card for cryptocurrencies, which we saw. And this was a gift card which you could buy only online. 
and then they would send you a code via email and then you could go to their website again and uh, insert that code and then you would have like a balance of 100 euros or whatever which you could exchange for a cryptocurrency and um yeah we thought okay but this this is not how it should be so the the, the interesting part of gift cards is that they are like physical cards in stores and when you have a physical card in a store this was our first idea you could also just print the private key on that card um, um prob uh, obviously in a hidden form and um <laughs> and then more or less make like a bitcoin voucher bitcoin to go you know um and and then but yeah then we had some security concerns about this method uh, obviously when you print a private key you know the private key the printer like the printing company knows the private key and yeah you just don't want that and for that reason we we developed the wallet with the nfc technology um, where we enable our customers to generate their own private key without anyone else knowing knowing it so how, how was it that you ended up stumbling across that that nfc technology because I've, I've seen these cards in action it's quite impressive how the key generation actually works if you give us sort of brief rundown as to how it works and also really curious as to how you came across that as a solution that was i would say that was more um more from my co-founder because he always came he, he was just like because he's more like focused on a good customer journey good processes um a good design and all that and he he always just said said to me lucas we need some type of nfc it feels so good like we the customer journey with nfc is so much better and and qr codes are just not not the real thing and then i i was like yeah I'm, i totally agree because qr codes are also not very secure um and then at some point we realized that nfc so i think that was the breakthrough moment that an nfc is when you have a, a usual nfc card you you can't not, you cannot only read from it with your smartphone you can also write on it you know that means that you can that you can um put information with any with any smartphone you can put information onto uh, via an nfc antenna onto a microchip and then we we realized okay uh, you could actually generate your own private key, encrypt it, and transfer it to this microchip via the NFC antenna, and therefore create your own cold storage completely independent of anyone else. But then on the other side, you also have like a very good customer experience because um, we can put all these processes in the background so that the only thing the customer has to do is just take that card and tap it against his phone, wait for like a second, and then he sees a confirmation sign, uh, and then he's good to go. Yeah. You've touted the advantages of like, there's the obvious one around like being able to safely self-custody using uh, cold storage. Uh, and then also the advantages of gifting. Are there any other sort of functionalities that you guys think of uh, to sort yeah. of like expand the possibilities that a, a physical card can give retail customers wanting to enter crypto? Yeah, of course. So um, on the one hand, we, we are already um, active with our business clients where we, um, let's say, so the, the, the key point about our supermarket product is that we enable an easy access to cryptocurrencies, right? Um, an access which everybody understands, even without any prior knowledge. And we also apply this for other types of blockchain assets. So we enable um, already our business clients um, to ship uh, any blockchain asset physically um, so more or less enable 
um, any customer group to have access to, for example, to an NFT or to a metaverse item. So recently, one of our uh, partners launched um, a metaverse clutch. It's a fashion brand from, from Berlin uh, called Yes My Love. And they launched um, a clutch, both physical and digital. So when you buy this clutch, you will get it. And then inside the clutch, you will find our card. And uh, on that UBA card, like it, it's obviously it's with their branding and issued by us. And on that on that card, you can the, the customer already gets the digital version of this physical clutch. So they sell both the physical clutch and the metaverse item in one product. And um, the good thing about using our technology for them is that all of their customers understand it. So you, you don't need to explain to anyone how to tap a card against a smartphone. And um, what the customers do is they get the clutch, they take the card, tap it against their phone, and then they immediately see already the um, digital version of that clutch on their smartphone. So there's on this side, there's more, there are more applications for the product. Um, and then on the other side, having a hardware wallet, having your own cold storage, uh, which is connected to your smartphone via this, uh, which can easily be connected to your smartphone via this NFC technology, has huge potential because um, you can access any protocol, any innovation happening on the blockchain with your own wallet. So I would say the wallet is actually the anchor and the most important part of everything which happens in blockchain because it makes you, first of all, it makes you independent of third parties. But then on the other hand, only when you have your own wallet, you can independently access the like anything happening on chain, any protocol, um, any new service, which is built in a decentralized way is only accessible for the people who um, know how to operate their own wallet into it and the ones who actually have their own wallet. So uh, if you hold your cryptocurrencies with a with a crypto custody, there's no chance that, that you will be able to, to participate in that innovation. They will only be able to access um, um, exclusively the protocols which the crypto custodian allows you to access. Yeah. No, I admit that it's extremely open, extremely positive, I guess, for the next generation of retail adoption. Uh, an, an interesting point to note, right, because you are such a retail-facing product, uh, we are coming up towards Christmas. You, you obviously get the... It's called the Santa bump or something in in traditional finance, where everything sort of sort of blows up from a sales perspective. But you're also faced with sort of this prospect of a crypto bear market. How how do you go about sort of marketing yourselves and and selling this this retail product to mainstream customers uh, at a time where they might have read literally anything in the news about crypto in the last two weeks? Because I don't think much of it has been good. Um, yeah, so it's, that's a good question, actually. I think that we, being inside of the crypto bubble, get a lot more information of what's, what is going on. So most normal people don't know what FTX actually means, for example. Um, and there's a lot of people who are just in general, they're, they're overall interested in, in cryptocurrencies, um, and Bitcoin and so on, without daily checking the the, the rates, um, without knowing all the the details we we know. For them, this is more like 
I don't I don't really mind. I just um, I'm I'm just curious about using this technology. When they buy our product in the supermarket, they they put in maybe 50 euros or 100 euros to start with. So that means that that it's not a significant investment for them. This is more like um, yeah, as I said, that they want to to make their first Bitcoin purchase. They want to interact with the technology. They want to understand a little bit about it. Um, so for that reason, we I think that it is still okay. But on the other side, obviously, um, when you when we are in a bull market, then um, then way more people are rushing into the market. Um, this is also for sure. And for us, what is it, what we take care of is uh, our cost structure. So we um, we don't want to have too high fixed costs and, um, and prefer to have more like variable costs, um, so that we when like when there's a bull market that we that we can t take the full upside. But then I mean this is I think this is a, this this uh, this is something with uh, which every crypto startup has to to deal with that you have also these downside like these more or less this very cyclical market. And um, yeah, you want to be prepared always for for a down downside um, circle. Yeah, just shouldn't have too too high fixed costs because this can drain away the liquidity from your company. Do you do anything in particular to make customers feel more comfortable about purchasing crypto? You, you mentioned earlier that a lot of it, a lot of these sort of introductory purchases are out of curiosity. But is is there any any, any effort that you make? on your end to make people feel a bit more comfortable about making their first, say, Bitcoin purchase? Of course, this is actually the um, the, the job of my co-founder. Uh, he uh, he takes a, a lot of care about um, a super clean customer journey, um, very clean processes, um, um, and a nice design of the app. Um, so we differ from the traditional crypto exchange where you where you are faced with like thousands of different options like futures trading spot market trading limit orders and all that so um for us uh, the the customer journey is way more simple and easy and the interface so from that perspective yeah we are focused on on customers who are yeah who are looking for an easy solution um which is understandable from the very beginning uh, where they don't have to put any research in so i would say this is the big difference from our solution um, with any other solution the customer has to do some research before he can actually start so even um even when like even anything online means for the customer who's not like who's entering this market for the first time means that he has to do some research um, about this this um, exchange so at least you want to know if it's legit or not um, if you can really send money to it or not because there's a lot of exchanges where you would rather not send your money to and um, then you also have to do some research about how to use the interface and so on uh, for, for most of the exchanges and um, with our product don't have to put in any research because when you are in your next um, grocery store you know that the products they sell are good um, we are obviously we are in Germany we are regulated um, our our regulatory setup has been um, has been um, very closely I think the right word is, is ex examined right so um, several other parties have been looking through our um, our regulatory setup 
obviously before uh, before anybody lists our our card and this is something which the customer relies on so when you are in in the next um i, I think of for example like aldi or whatever in, in the next um grocery store where you go shopping every day you know the products are good so you don't have to you don't have this trust issue you know when you pay at the cashier that the money will appear um in in the as a balance um and yeah for that this is how we make it more simple more easy um more frictionless yeah and you've talked we both have talked a lot about the retail piece uh but from, from what i understand you guys are also at the moment uh, going full bore towards a bit of a business-to-business strategy as well. Uh, would you like to elaborate a bit more on that? Yeah, of course. This is I've already mentioned it a little bit. Um, the, we, we realized that the process which we created for the supermarket, uh, where a customer gets uh, gets this physical wallet and all he has to do to activate it is to tap it against his phone, that this process is actually very interesting for other businesses as well. Um, Currently, we can see different brands like Remova or um, or Adidas or Nike um, doing their own NFT drops. Like they all face the same issue when you when you make an NFT drop of any kind or when you want to drop any blockchain asset to your customer group, you need um, you need you more or less the, you you require the customer to understand how to store it. Um, and how to to handle it. And currently, I would say maybe like maximum five percent, maximum of of um, a, a randomly selected crowd knows how to actually store a crypto asset. And this limits the the potential of these NFT drops uh, quite a lot. And um, with our technology, we enable any other company either to use our white label app or to integrate our technology via our SDK into their app. And they can then um, issue, like they can then use our cards. Um, we are always the issuer of the card, but they can put their lo- uh, their branding and their logo on it. And um, then they, what they can do is that they ship this physical card to their customers. So let's take an example, like uh, just really as an example, let's say Adidas wants to make a new sneaker, which is um, limited and they want to have a metaverse clone of that sneaker comparable to the to the fashion brand from Berlin. I was talking about so let's say they want to make this drop um, and they yeah when they integrate our technology they would ship um, the physical pair of shoes plus our card and that card will be on like a piece of paper and then on top of the, uh, the paper says here is your nft uh, just tap the card against your phone so the customer gets both of these products he takes our card he taps it against his phone and then automatically the adidas app would open and um, then this, the wallet would be generated for the user, uh, would be transferred onto that card. Uh, we would trigger a smart contract and we would automatically send the NFT to the card. And all the customer sees is he takes the card, he taps it against his phone, the app, autumns, uh, the app opens automatically, he waits for maybe a few seconds and then he gets a confirmation. And from that moment on, he has his own wallet and he stores the digital version of the sneaker on that wallet. And then Adidas could display in um, in the in their own app the digital version of the pair of sneakers. But just to to make it clear, we're not working with Adidas. This is just an example. <laughs> yeah. Don't give it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, on 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 that point, obviously you you obviously work a lot with other businesses. 
uh, not only on the B2B end, but also I guess in, in your retail approach, a lot of it relies on uh, third-party distribution partners. Uh, so that, that means that you have obviously done a lot of BD work uh, in your role. What's been sort of the most helpful elements that you found sort of pitching these more traditional companies on, on the promise of, I guess, what you guys are building? Um, to be very honest, I would say personal um, relations. So that like like relations which you build on conferences or via your network. Um, this was always a very good door opener, and this actually made people look at our comp- like at the presentation we sent to them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would I would say this definitely helps because I can I can tell from from myself I get so many requests on LinkedIn from from different like sales requests from different companies I really can't look at them anymore because I don't have the time to individually look at any like when I see okay this is just a sales request for a product which I'm not highly interested uh, in at the moment then I I'm, I stop looking at it. And I think that um, this is the same. I mean, of course, we could start to approach via LinkedIn the, the key persons from different companies, but I don't expect them to look at our messages. Um, so for that reason, I, yeah, we, we always try when, when, we, when we see potential uh, in a business client and we think about, okay, do we know anyone from our network who might have a connection to them, at least to somebody working there so that he can then redirect to the most relevant person and I think this is probably, this is the, the best way, this, this has been uh, the best way for us. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess sort of where, where has been sort of the steep learning curves in terms of getting yourself in the room with, I guess, a lot of these, uh, I'll call them powerful players because it's like you are talking to big retailing partners and big fashion partners and things like that. What would be your advice to other founders in the space who, who need to develop those kind of partnerships? and get in the room with them. Um, so the, the interesting thing is that we not only partner with retail chains, our tech, uh, we, you actually, we also enable other traditional business, businesses to use our technology. And um, the reason is that what we've developed for the, the supermarket case is more or less just um, a solution how anybody can easily get access to a cryptocurrency and um yeah that also gets like the an, a very easy storage and handling device for that cryptocurrency um, basically our wallet and um this can also be applied for any other blockchain asset and if we take a look um just in the recent months we could see a lot of traditional companies doing nft drops so companies like Remova, Adidas, Nike, um, and so on, all did uh, some type of NFT drop. And they all face one issue. And this issue is that when we take um, any like random group of people, there's probably like there's a maximum of maybe like 4%, um, but really that's the maximum uh, who do actually understand how to Self, like how to store and how to handle a crypto asset. And this means that currently all these companies who are doing NFT drops are very limited um, because they can only reach like a, a tiny amount of their, of their customer group. And um, we 
provide either like an SDK, which enables other companies to make a direct integra integration of our technology into their native app. And we also have a white label app, um, which can be used um, when you don't have your own app or when you don't want to integrate uh, in, in directly into your own app. And um, the combination of our tech and then also our wallets um, enables any company to do like a physical NFT drop when um, they can reach 100% of their customer, customers with that drop. Um, so what happens is that let's, let's take um, maybe an, an example. So let's say Adidas uh, wants to make um, a new sneaker, which is limited and which has a metaverse thrown. Then what they could do is that they actually like use our SDK, integrate our technology directly into their native app. And um, then they also use our wallets, but obviously, I mean, we, we are the issuer of the wallet, but obviously they will put like their own design, their own logo branding and so on onto the card. And um, they can now ship the physical pair of shoes with together with the card to the customer. And then the customer receives the shoes and, uh, and the card. And then usually you would like apply a small like letter, which says to the customer, like, here, like, yeah, which comes together with the card and which says, here is your NFT, just take the card and tap it against your phone. So then the customer takes the card, he taps it against his phone. Automatically, the Adidas app in this example opens. Um, the private, like the wallet is being generated, transferred onto the card. Um, automatically, a smart contract is triggered and the NFT is sent directly onto the card. And all these processes are in the background. So all the customer sees is like, he takes the card, he taps the card against his phone, he waits for two seconds, and then he just gets like a, a green confirmation sign, which says, okay, now you're ready. Your NFT is now stored on that card. And now he can actually see the NFT. Like in this example, he could see the NFT directly into the Adidas app. And um, yeah, and store the NFT on that card. And this way, we actually reduce this customer journey to one single tap. So all the customer has to do is tap this card against his phone. Everything else happens in the background and he's now equipped as he stores his own NFT. And um, he actually, like, he even has his own wallet um, uh, completely under his control. And um, this process, yeah, this was just an example, like there's other applications for this process as well. And um, yeah, as I've already mentioned, we are already partnering with, um, with other businesses um, who are using this exact technology to then be able to actually reach out to 100% of their customers with any blockchain-based asset. Uh, a lot of your advice so far has been been very human centric, uh, which is, which goes against the grain of a lot of protocol advice that you see on Twitter. So that's quite quite refreshing. From say like a founder like yourself, and I, I brought it up earlier, not many hardware founders uh, in the space, and I think in tech more general, it becomes rarer and rarer every year. What are what are some of the unique challenges that you find as as someone working in the hardware space? Hardware definitely adds um, a new like a yeah another layer of i would say complexity and probably risk uh, because you have you not only need to take care that you deliver like good like the best quality and the most secure software you also have to take care about the quality of your hardware and for us 
I know that like it took us several months to to screen the market for chips um, and for NFC chips uh, and for NFC cards and so on. Um, that really took us, I would say, like five months or something. Um, we've we've been talking with uh, most like with with a lot of different producers. We we've looked at a lot of different samples. Um, We've been looking in, into different continents um, about the pricing. I mean, obviously, we, we were checking, like we were looking into China as well um, and, and into different European uh, countries like Italy, Poland, and so on. And why I'm saying this is just that it takes um, quite some effort to make sure that you get like the best quality. Yeah, and then on the other side, when you deliver the product to, to your customer, you also need to make sure that the quality is like long-term good, not only uh, from the first appearance. This is just a different type of uh, quality assurance compared to, to your software, because with your software, you just make continuous updates uh, and then, and yeah, and you can change like, and, and yeah, it, it kind of develops as you grow. But when, when, when you ship um, a physical product, then there's no way like you it's out of your hands you cannot change anything about it anymore um so yeah for that reason um this is this whole quality aspect is definitely a challenge and then even going beyond hardware what have you found sort of to be the most challenging elements of the founder experience in web3 as a whole regulation <laughs> uh, definitely regulation we we have like our company is completely based in germany we are complying with all the German regulation, obviously, because we actively target the German market by selling our product in, in uh, retail stores. And um, yeah, for that reason. On the other hand, we have in Germany a good but complex regulation. It is, I think it is a very good thing that we have it. Um, just like recent ex examples from the crypto industry show how important it is to have proper regulation to look into the businesses, uh, how they operate, uh, and so on. Um, but then on the other side, as a startup, obviously, it is quite quite an overhead of costs. And um, you need to have good partners to work with. Um, you Usually what you do is you partner with uh, some type of bank, um, like someone who holds the necessary licenses, which you usually don't have as, as a startup. Um, and yeah, but then here we are also quite happy that we have a very good and uh, strong banking partner who is working together with us to uh, to yeah to make this product uh, possible. But yeah, I would say that that regulation was the, the biggest challenge. Yeah. And in, in the face of all that regulation, obviously it can be quite hard to plan for the future because you don't know what sort of changes are going to be introduced. How, how do you and your team sort of go about planning for the future? Uh, when when sort of the the environment that you'll be facing is kind of unclear. The good thing about uh, regulation is that it does not change um, surprisingly. So you usually you know about anything for the next years. Um, you already know because you know in general like these processes like they. They just take some time. I think they have like thousands of meetings, and before they agree on something, and then and then in the last step, someone disagrees, and then they have to redo all the work and so on. So this these processes just take some time, and this um, and then I mean, and then on the other hand, the the regular the regul uh, the regulator 
knows that um, he cannot just from one day to another enforce a new rule and then more or less uh, like force any business to directly comply with it because this is just not not natural and this just wouldn't work. So for that reason, we are, we do know what is the current regulation and we do know what the regulation to expect for the next like five years. And um, obviously we do make sure that we are compliant with, with all of that and then maybe just also with um, what could be upcoming regulation. Um, yeah, so this is more or less what we do. We look into, for example, like the drafts from the, from the upcoming MECAR Mika is um, is a harmonized regulatory framework for the whole EU. Uh, we look obviously into that. We work uh, closely with our lawyers, um, who are aware of what is what is to be expected, um, and we already shape our processes today to to be compliant with with the expected future regulation. Yeah. Is is there anything that you can do, or any rec- any advice that you'd have for other founders in the space, especially of smaller? companies or protocols um, that you can do to sort of be a voice of reason among regulators or with people who have access to regulators to sort of shape it in a in a more more reasonable way for the crypto ecosystem i'm not 100 sure if i understood that correctly but um, there is already such a task force in germany like there are already there's already like a group of of um of entrepreneurs um, and they are actively making like an information exchange so they contribute by um by giving more information from the industry perspective to the regulator so that they understand what this actually means so i think we just sometimes have the situation that that the the politicians um decide on on some topics which they obviously cannot have such a deep knowledge as the industry professionals and um, here it always makes sense uh, when you just share some of your knowledge with them and just uh, make sure that they know everything they have to know to make the right decision and yeah and, and i know that in germany for example there is already such uh, such a group yeah no i think that is that it does tend to be the way to do it is sort of uh reason by conglomeration grouping up to sort of make the collective voice heard this is actually very important because uh, yeah you just need to make sure as an industry that that your voice is being heard oh lucas one important thing that i think a lot of the novice protocol builders or project builders want to understand is how do we win uh how do you how do you planning for a winning strategy how do you how do you plan for sort of competitive dominance in in a space where a lot of the, the the competitive factors are still so ambiguous uh, because because of how young space is. So, what what, what how does Uber sort of think about your strategy for winning? I think the the overall concept is probably um, to be to have a solution which is in some aspects way better than anything else which is already existing. So, this is this concept of like 10x be at least 10 times better than the already existing solution. And um, I would say, or like our product from specific perspectives, especially from the customer and onboarding perspective, is definitely 10 times better than uh, the already existing solutions. And um, then on the other side, we 
um, you, you need when you have such a product, you need to to bring it to the market um, as fast as possible, and then you know like gain relevant market share. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, to be to become like an actual actual uh, company, like or like an actual like to get to get some like actual share of the industry. That's what I wanted to say. And uh, we do this by more or less um, building on already existing infrastructures and networks. So we cooperate uh, with other businesses. We cooperate with supermarket chains. We cooperate. We have already the cooperation with ePay, um, and uh, we cooperate with traditional businesses. And they all like. And every time when we do that, we are, we are using already existing infrastructures. So for example, um, the yeah, one of the first partners we are going to launch with um, in Germany has 1,000 point of sales. That means just with one partnership, um, we will cover the whole area of Germany um, uh, with our product. And um, yeah, this way we can like yeah quite fast like capture the the market. And then on the other side, when we for example look at ePay. They are um, a European, um, actually they are a global company, but they are a distributor in whole Europe. Um, so that means um, based on on their, um, yeah, based on their already existing partnerships, we can bring the product uh, to the to the whole European market um, quite fast. And I think these two uh, factors and combinations. So on the one side, the ability to to target like a for, like from a geographical point of view to bring this product to um uh to like the whole european market quite fast and then on the other side to have a product which is from a customer perspective um way better than any other product so far um especially like from the usability and customer journey um i think this combination gives us um an, an advantage and uh yeah the the reason why we are going to win yeah yeah, no, glad glad to hear. And, and sort of on that point about growth uh, as well, of course, I think a, a big part of the retail crypto audience uh, exists beyond Europe. Uh, what, what are sort of your plans for navigating new territory? So the first launch um, will be in Germany. And um, then we obviously will expand to other European markets. Um, so this is like the, the current strategy. And... I think then from there on, um, I mean, yeah, so this is again like a regulatory question to be, to be honest. We already got like the German regulation, which means more or less we are compliant with the European regulation. And um, yeah, and then from, from that perspective, we need to look into um, how easily we can expand into other markets, for example, like Australia or the USA. Um, so I would say that these are the markets we, we are looking into. Um, we, on the other side, we definitely see a use case for our wallet also in um, more developing countries like South America um, or Africa, because there you have a lot of unbanked people and uh, they get the big advantage of having the possibility to easily convert cash into a cryptocurrency. Um, so this is also something which we which we will evaluate further. No, it's super encouraging to hear that I, I also understand your point about that. The regulatory concerns, I think, slightly that in many cases, hardware startups have to navigate with a bit more caution. As uh, you mentioned right at the beginning of this podcast, 
that you're a bit of a veteran in the space, having been around since 2015. Outside of what you're building with Uber and things like cold storage, what's really exciting you um, in the space at this point in time, even during the bear market? I would say that, um, so yeah, you know, the thing is that currently we see not only the crypto market, um, under pressure, we also see traditional systems a little bit under pressure. We see inflation in all major fiat currencies. Um, we see a lot of debt, um, and then obviously like, um, and a bit of a issue for the central banks because they like the combination of, and then we also see some like, maybe like recession indicators. And now the issue for central banks is that they cannot as easily as they've done in, in the past, they cannot as easily just expand the, the money, money supply, um, to kind of, uh, fight the recession. And like this all puts a lot of tension on the traditional system, um, the centralized system and, um, Besides all like bear market, I, I think the use case for independent decentralized solutions has never been as strong as it, as it has been right now. And this does excite me about, uh, about blockchain, about Bitcoin. Um, yeah, about, about the whole space. Yeah. I, I think you're very right. And I think you, you made the point earlier as well about sort of in, in the developing world, you see like a lot of very uh, prescient use case, uh, with the unbanked, but I think more and more, I think, uh, there might be eroding trust because of, in, in centralized institutions, because of external indicators, like you mentioned, oh, which would be an interesting boon for this space, uh, even if it is quite, uh, depressing on the outset. Um, oh. yeah. And, and just to, to wrap up, uh, so, something that I ask, uh, almost all guests, uh, the, any book recommendations? Um. Yeah, sure. Uh, a book recommendation, which I can definitely give is The Alchemist. I remember, I, I, I don't know if you know that book. I think it's from Paulo Coelho. Um, and, uh, I read it at the ends of my, of my studies and it is most like it's, it's not, it's not too, too much to read. You can easily read through it in a few days. And, um, it is about how you like how you should actually look into yourself, um, when it comes to making life decisions, when it comes to make the decision, in which direction you go, uh, sometimes you just have to like closely listen to, to yourself. Um, and then you will see what is the best way, like where you should actually go, you know? Um, and I think, uh, this also, um, this, yeah, this, uh, Back then I had to make the decision, should I go like towards investment banking or consulting or should I just stay in or like go to this, yeah, new industry of blockchain. And, um, yeah, I think this book was, was part of the reason why I decided, okay, I'm not going to choose like the, the secure and, um, obvious way. Um, I, I would rather like go to this new unknown space. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy about that decision. So yeah, this is a, a book recommendation I can give. Yeah, very, very deep with a personal twist and ended on a very positive net. Um, yeah. thank you. Thank you very much for coming on Lucas. Uh, is, is there any, any, any last things that you want to say about, uh, you before we call it a net? Maybe just one last, last thing, our, our name, we get a lot, a uh, lot of people ask us about our name. Um, it's, it derives from your bank. 
And um, yeah, I would like to encourage everybody to take the responsibility, like get your own wallet. Doesn't have to be necessarily a Yuba wallet, but like get your own wallet and become your own bank, store your own, uh, store your own wealth, <laughs> be independent of third parties. That's the mission. Thank you so much for coming on again, Lucas. Uh, it's been, been an absolute pleasure talking and look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to that latest episode of Hands' Protocol Weekly. I deeply hope you enjoyed it. If you want to stay up to date with our podcast every week, follow the firm or myself on Twitter at hands underscore network or at AHR Whitford. Even better, uh, if you're a best case scenario where this episode has motivated you to start your own protocol, I'd recommend heading to our website at handsa.network and reaching out to the Accelerator Investments team through our founder forums there. I've been your host, Archie Whitford. Thanks for tuning in and look forward to next time.